Good morning. My name is Peter Kroll. I am one of the elders for our church here. And I want to show you a magical place. I know it. maybe a few of you recognize this place. This is the island of Bermuda. We have this hanging in our home, in uh, our bathroom, downstairs, to create a place of peace and serenity for visitors. But I love Bermuda because right over here is where we stayed for a week for our honeymoon. It was the best vacation I've ever had. Had two private beaches with our place there. Over here is the the capital city of Hamilton, and we took a a ferry across this bay once where my wife uh, got motion sick, (laughs) and uh, we had all kinds of fun. We... We had a nice seaside dinner one night where we uh, got up and started dancing in the middle of the restaurant, even though nobody was dancing, because we were just happy. In some ways, it was a, a difficult vacation for us, because we were just learning how to live as, as husband and wife, and I think some of you can relate to that, going from living your own life, making all your own decisions, to now having to live with someone else. But in many ways... Our trip to Bermuda was pure paradise. We had five-course dinners with live steel drummers. We had gorgeous weather, endless private beaches. We had the bluest water I've ever seen in my life. We even went scuba diving without needing a license through the remains of a shipwreck under the sea. It was amazing. I can't wait to get back to Bermuda someday. I I dream of it often. I think Ethan wants to go to Bermuda too. <laughs> yes. And uh, I'll try to take you with me. I used to have a photo of, of huts on an island beach. I don't even know where the photo was taken. It used to be my part of my computer's desktop to cheer me up each day. Does your heart ache as mine does for such paradise. You need to know that paradise like this comes with a price tag. Okay, for us in 2004, for two adults, we got round trip airfare from Baltimore to Bermuda for $539.60 plus a $10 service fee. (laughs) It's not so bad. But those few hundred dollars don't capture even a fraction of The full price of those tickets to paradise. Do you know what those tickets really cost me? First, I had to marry this woman. (laughs) And I'll admit, that price was much higher for her than it was for me. I got a bargain. Second, I had to help plan a wedding. You know how complex weddings are? Incredible. Third, I had to survive the wedding. And that's easier said than done, because the night before our wedding, Hurricane Ivan hit Pennsylvania in the middle of the night, knocked out the power. We weren't even sure if we'd have power for our wedding, and the hurricane prevented almost a third of our guests from being able to come. I also had to show up in precisely the right place, at the right time, in the right clothing, 
for the rehearsal, for photographs, and finally for the service. And then I had to get through one of the most exhausting days of my life. You see, the price of these tickets to paradise was far more than meets the eye. The price of these tickets involved a series of complex rituals, exceptionally precise maneuvers, and a sequence of events that had to stay in the right order. This morning, we come to chapter 29 in our study of Exodus. If you have one of the church Bibles, we're on page 45. And we're about to read a chapter of the Bible filled with ceremonies and rituals. And though you may feel overwhelmed at first when you read a chapter like this, you should know that the ceremonies involved here are actually far less complicated than the ceremonies we're already accustomed to, like planning weddings and such things. And the point of this ceremony is simple. The ceremony we're going to read in chapter 29 is a ticket to paradise. Would you like to be with the person, the God, the maker of heaven and earth, who has seen you at your worst and yet chooses to stay with you? Is it worth it to you to pay any cost to enjoy sweet memories and uninterrupted friendship with him? The price of a ticket to God's paradise, as you see in your outline, is first, an approved man in approved garments. Second, it's approved food. And third, an approved place. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dig in. Father in heaven, please help us now as we study your word. May we not be uh, embarrassed or put off or overwhelmed by this chapter and the rituals involved in it. Help us to understand them. Help us to see Jesus more clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And when God created the world and everything in it, he did it in order to have a place to live in paradise with his people whom he loved. However, everything went awry in Genesis chapter 3 when those people ate unapproved food, the fruit which God had commanded them not to eat, And then they tried to clothe themselves in unapproved garments, mere fig leaves that could not actually cover their nakedness and their shame. And in so doing, they defiled the place of paradise. And God had to kick them out of that place in order to preserve their lives and give them hope for the future. This is all of this is why we have hurricanes and we have heartache and humans acting inhumanly toward one another. And so here in Exodus 29, God continues the process of undoing all that went wrong. This is the context of our chapter. How do I know God is undoing what went wrong? Look at the end. Look where the passage is heading. Verse 45 of Exodus 29. God says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. This is all about God finally being able to dwell with his people and that they might know him. And it begins with getting approved men in approved garments. Let's go back to verse one. Now, this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them that they may serve me as priests 
Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments. These are all the things that he explained in chapter 28. We heard about last week, all the special garments. Put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breast piece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Let's stop there for a moment. So in the previous chapter, God described to Moses all the special clothing they needed to make for the priests who would serve the people in God's tent. And now here in verse 1, he explains how to ordain them to this service. So you can get all these nice clothes, but you can't put just anybody into them. So in verse 1, he says you need three animals. You need a bull and two rams. Verses 2 and 3, bring those animals into the courtyard of the new tent that you're building and bring them along with a basket of buttered biscuits. That's all this stuff he's talking about. Just bring a basket of buttered biscuits. Verse 4, you take Aaron, who is the brother of Moses, the guy who's receiving all these instructions. Take Aaron, your brother, and take Aaron's sons and give them all baths in verse 4. Verses 5 and 6, take all the new clothes, put them on Aaron. Verse 7, dump some oil on Aaron's head in order to inaugurate him into this new office. That was how they inaugurated people back then. And verses 8 and 9, give clothes and jobs to Aaron's sons as well. They need clothes and jobs. So now we've got some squeaky clean gentlemen in funny hats and robes. But how do we make sure that they are approved for the position? How do we know that God won't have to just kick them right back out like he did to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. That's where it picks up. First, you need to take the bull. Remember, there were three animals. First, you need the bull as a sin offering, verses 10 through 14. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. They lay their hands on the bull to signify representation. They they are transferring themselves. They are sharing their identity with the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before Yahweh at the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. So you take all the fattiest parts of this bull after you've smeared the blood with your finger on the horns of the altar and all the fatty parts, you burn them on the altar. And then verse 14, the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. And there, that last phrase shows us the whole point 
of this bull and this part of the ritual. It is a sin offering. This first sacrifice they offer covers the priest's sins and it makes him a clean slate ready to serve Yahweh his God. Because these priests, they're sinful screw-ups just like everybody else. And so first they need to get their sins covered if they're going to come and serve God. So that's what you do with the bull. The bull is a sin offering. Second, you need to take the, one of the rams. So you have two rams. So you need a ram as a whole burnt offering. Verses 15 through 18. Then you shall take one of the rams. <clears throat> and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. Again, showing representation. This thing represents them. And verse 16. And you shall kill the ram and shall take its blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar. This altar is getting pretty covered in blood at this point. The horns and now the sides. Verse 17. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces and wash its entrails and its legs and put them with its pieces and its head and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to Yahweh. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to Yahweh. Here's the point. The second sacrifice is a burnt offering. The entire thing is burnt on top of the altar. You don't take some of it outside the camp because it's representing sin. This whole thing gets burned. It's a picture because they, they put their hands on it. This, this animal represents the priests now. It represents the complete and, and, and total devotion of this animal to the Lord, which represents the priest's complete devotion, complete dedication, his whole self dedicated to the service of God. So he has a sin covered with that bull, and now he, he is fully dedicated to God with this first ram. Now you've got to take the second ram as a peace offering. Verses 19 through 25. You shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. Once again, the ram is substituting for them. It represents them. And you shall kill the ram and take part of its blood. And get this. And put the blood on the tip of the right ear of Aaron. And on the tips of the right ears of his sons. And on the thumbs of their right hands. Five of them. Aaron has four sons. And on the great toes of their right feet. And throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. You see, the blood goes on the priests. Just like it goes on the altar with the other animals. It's uniting the priests with the altar. In a sense, you could, you know, the priests need to ritually wear the blood. Almost as though they are being washed in the blood. Except it just goes on the ear, the thumb, and the toe. So, you know, how much of a gross-out factor would that be if they actually had to take a bath in the blood? This is gross enough. But this is what they have. And you throw the rest of the blood on the sides of the altar. There's this symbolic connection between the priest and the altar because they wear the same blood. They share the same fate. Verse uh, 21. Then you shall take part of the blood that's on the altar and of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments. This is like a horror flick. Splattering the blood on them and their garments. And on his sons and his sons' garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy. It's funny, they're going to be pretty stained. How do you get those stains out? 
Uh, you probably don't, and I think that's part of the point. That's what makes them holy. They are covered in the blood and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Verse 22, you shall also, we're still in this second ram, you shall also take the fat from the ram and the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and the right thigh, for it is a ram of ordination. So all the same fat parts you burned up with the first ram, you take all those fat parts, but also the right thigh. And verse 23, and one loaf of bread and one cake of bread made with oil and one wafer out of the basket of unleavened bread that is before Yahweh. You shall put all these, so all the fat parts and the right thigh and the buttered biscuits, put all these on the palms of Aaron. Can you picture the gore? And on the palms of his sons and wave them for a wave offering before Yahweh. So they're holding this up showing, look, Lord, this was killed for us. Then you shall take them from their hands and burn them on the altar on top of the burnt offering, that other one that you offered before, as a pleasing aroma before Yahweh. It is a food offering to Yahweh. Now, this second one is also food for Yahweh. We saw that phrase also up in verse 18. The first ram was called a food offering to Yahweh. He is concerned with offering to the Lord the right Food. And it is a pleasing aroma. What's the point of this third sacrifice? The point of this third one is union. Union. The priest is ritually and symbolically unified with the third sacrifice and with the altar itself. The same blood goes on the altar and on the priest. They're wearing the blood. They're sharing the same fate. What happens to one of them happens to all three of them. The sacrifice, the altar, and the priest. Nobody can be approved by God unless all three of these things are approved. The sacrifice, the altar, the priest. There is a critical union. There is a fellowship here. There is a sharing of fates. There is a sense in which the priest becomes more than a man. At this point, he becomes an essential part of the very system by which God's people can be brought back into the paradise of life with God. And you get this union of priest, temple, sacrifice, all working together as a well-oiled machine, a seamless whole. But overall, looking at all of verses 1 through 25, the big idea here is that the first thing people need to re-enter the paradise of God is approved men in approved garments. And we see through the sequence of the sacrifices, the order matters. Through the sequence, we see what three things lead to the approval of these men in their garments. First, they need to have their sin covered. Second, their lives must be fully dedicated to the Lord. And third, they are completely unified with the rest of the system to make it a well-oiled machine. Those three things make these men approved. God is teaching us what it takes to make the world right again. It takes approved men in approved garments, whose sins are covered, who are fully dedicated, and who are unified with the whole system. Why is this here? How does this apply to us, other than an interesting 
academic understanding of ancient Hebrew rituals. Remember, God is preaching to us and he's revealing Jesus to us through all of this. God is showing us that what the world needs today is exactly the same as what it needed back in Exodus, even though the expression of it looks different. Let me read a few verses from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter is writing in the New Testament after Jesus came, and he's writing to people who believed on Christ, and he says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. If you trust in Jesus and serve his Father, you are all now priests. And you need to know what that means. Exodus 29 teaches us about it. First and foremost, it means you've got your sins covered. You must wear your approved garments. The New Testament says over and over again, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You need to get your sins covered because you're a priest. Second, he wants all of you. Like that second sacrifice, you are fully dedicated to the Lord. Christianity allows no possibility for weekend warriors who come to church, do their time with God, get their little ritual purification, and then go back to life as usual the rest of the week. No, you're priests if you believe in Jesus. You are fully dedicated. He wants all of you. And third, you need to know that you have become an essential part of the process that God uses to make things right again. As a priest, he has, he has made you a part of the process. That's why he has called you to meet the people around you, to live in the world as a royal priesthood. That's why we even are, we're trying to, as a church, we're trying to meet our neighbors, the people who live around us, who live near us. We want to learn their names, hear their stories, be a good neighbor so that you can intercede for these people in prayer and lead them to their only hope for life, their only hope of paradise, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember this, because if you go home this afternoon and if you take initiative to learn the name of one of your neighbors whose name you didn't know before, you are being a priest and you just might help cover that, the cost of that person's ticket to paradise. So the first thing we need is approved men in approved garments. The other two points are much shorter. Have no fear. We move on to number two, approved food. So they've burned the bull and they've burned the first ram, but they haven't yet burned the second ram other than the fat portions as food for God. So notice now what they are to do with the rest of that second ram. Verses 26 through 34. You shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's ordination and wave it for a wave offering before Yahweh and it shall be your portion. 
And you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering that is waved and the thigh of the priest's portion. That's the left thigh that hadn't been burned yet. That is contributed from the ram of ordination from what was Aaron's and his son's. It shall be for Aaron and his sons as a perpetual due for from the people of Israel, for it is a contribution. It shall be a contribution from the people of Israel, from their peace offerings, their contribution to Yahweh. The holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him. They shall be anointed in them and ordained in them. The son who succeeds him as priest, who comes into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place, shall wear them seven days. You shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. And Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket in the entrance of the tent of meeting. They shall eat those things with which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration. But an outsider shall not eat of them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh for the ordination or of the bread remain until the morning, then you shall burn the the remainder with fire. No leftovers. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. So we see in this section that the rest of the second ram, in particular the breast, the left thigh, and whatever remains of it, it becomes food for the priests. Verse 26 says, it shall be your portion. Verse 32, you shall eat the flesh. 33, shall eat those things with which atonement was made. And this is so critical that the priests eat this part of the ram that is killed at their ordination. It's so critical that, that Yahweh makes it a perpetual rule into the future that whenever the people of Israel offer peace offerings, which in the Old Testament, the peace offerings was the only kind of sacrifice that the person who brings the animal gets to eat some of it. Some of it, only God eats it. And, and others, God eats some of it and the priests eat some of it. But the peace offerings, the one who brings it gets to eat some of it. However, that left thigh needs to go to the priest. That goes to the priest from the from the peace offerings forever, whenever they do this. In verse 33, we're told that nobody but the priests can eat this food. And verse 34, it is so special that it, with the buttered biscuits, can't remain until morning. The leftovers must be burned, which reminds us of Passover back in chapter 12, when they were to burn any leftovers in order to show how special this moment was, how special this food was. And in the middle of this section, where he talks about the approved food for the priest, we're reminded in verses 29 and 30, right in the middle, he just tucks it right in there. By the way, remember, these are approved men wearing approved garments. These are the special people. What's the point of all this? The point is this, that we have another picture of the special status of God's approved servants. Because the fatty portions of this animal were already described as a food offering to God. It was God's food, but the priest eats the rest of it. The point is that that they are invited to have dinner with God. Only God eats the first two sacrifices, but the priests are invited to join the third. They are approved. They are special. They are welcome. They get to eat and drink with God. They enter paradise, which is not merely a gift card to the Outback Steakhouse. 
but they get to what it is is they get to spend time with God himself. They get back into Eden. This food is not forbidden them. It is the fruit of sweet friendship with God. How does this apply for us? Well, since we already learned from 1 Peter that that we are all priests, if we believe in Christ, that means we too get to eat and drink with God. We enjoy this sweet fellowship of friendship with God. We, we celebrate it ritually, monthly here, as we have the Lord's Supper, as we remember the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ given for us, and we proclaim his death until he comes. As we do that, we get a tr- taste of true paradise. We are invited to dinner. We are the friends of God when we love his son, Jesus Christ. And not only that, we get to enjoy God's food, but we actually also become the food of God. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You understand, you are not only the priest, but you are also the sacrifice. You are approved food if you trust in Jesus as you give yourself in service to your Lord and to others you just might help cover the cost of their ticket to paradise price the ticket is approved men and approved garments it's also approved food so we need a priest we need a sacrifice but third and finally we need an approved place there's one last piece to undoing the fall and bringing people back into paradise Those other things are great, but in order for approved men in approved garments to be able to eat approved food, they need to have an approved place to do it in. Remember, they had been kicked out of Eden. They need a way to come back. Families need homes. Churches need meeting space. Businesses need a place of operations. Baseball teams need a home field. So where will God's people meet with their God to enjoy paradise with him? We see it in verses 35. Through 44. Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons, according to all that I have commanded you. Through seven days you shall ordain them, and every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. Also you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it, and shall anoint it to consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar. It's not just the people need atonement, but the place needs atonement. It needs to be covered. Make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whoever touches the altar shall become holy. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs, a year old, day by day, regularly. So this ordination service will consecrate the altar. It will approve the place, but that approval will fade. And so every day, from now on, they need to offer Two lambs on it. One lamb, verse 39, you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hin of beaten oil and a fourth of a hin of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight. It's one at morning and one at evening. Verse 42, it shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations 
at the entrance of the tent of meeting before Yahweh, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. You see, the whole focus here is on the place. The altar gets consecrated. The tent gets consecrated. The the plot of land gets consecrated. All so that God can meet with his people there. And when he meets with them, he wants to speak with them. And when he speaks with them, he sanctifies the place. He makes this a special place. And so he consecrates not only the tent and the altar, but also Aaron and his sons. He consecrates a place of paradise and the people of paradise. And so we reach the climax, the hope of Israel, which is Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 45. Once all this has taken place, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am Yahweh, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. There is your definition of paradise. I am Yahweh, their God. So in order for God to bring his people back into paradise, he must pay their way by means of approved men in approved garments who are eating approved food and doing it in an approved place. This undoes all that bad stuff that was done in Eden in Genesis 3. And God's bringing them back. And these three things make up the entire Old Testament sacrificial system. So if you're ever you're reading the Old Testament, you know you hit those parts where you just get stuck and you get lost. What on earth is going on here? And if you get lost in the details, reading through the ceremonies and the rites of purification and everything, just ask yourself, which of the three categories is being addressed? Because it all boils down to this as you keep going through Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It all boils down to the priest, the sacrifice, and the temple. Those are the three categories because we need all three working together in order to dwell in paradise with God. Which is why when the New Testament explains what the world needs in order to restore paradise, it uses these same three categories to describe the people of God. Again, in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5, he says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious... You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Right there, he is temple, priest, sacrifice. You are all three. Through Jesus Christ, acceptable to God. And if that feels like an overwhelming calling, how can we ever be priests to the world? How can we be a temple For the people who are coming to know God. How can we be the food of the world? The sacrifice. Living sacrifices. You should be a little overwhelmed. Because no one can do this except for one. The Lord Jesus came from heaven to earth. The only reason you can be a priest to the world. Is because he. The book of Hebrews says. He is your great high priest. Merciful and faithful in the things of God. And the only reason you can be the temple of God is because Jesus himself said in John chapter 2 that his body was the true temple 
It was destroyed, and after three days, he rebuilt it when he came back from the dead. And the only reason you can offer yourself as a living sacrifice is because, as Hebrews 10 says, Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice once for all, never to die again. You see, that's why we don't offer sacrifices anymore, because Jesus was the once-for-all sacrifice. And we don't have priests anymore because we're all priests, because Jesus is our high priest. And we don't have a temple. We don't have a special place anymore because we are the temple. Whenever we gather, God is with us. You can enter the paradise of knowing God because Jesus already paid the price of your ticket. And because Jesus paid the price of your ticket, guess what? He asks you to pay the price of others' tickets. As you serve them as priests, you lay your life down as living sacrifices, and you are temples of worship where people can come and meet with God. So, you know, I guess it's okay if I never get back to Bermuda because helping others to get to paradise with the Lord Jesus Christ is far more satisfying anyway. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, what could we do without your help You have sent the Lord Jesus Christ to be our priest, to be our temple, to be our sacrifice. And Lord, we ask that you would conform us to his image, that we too could dance this dance, that we could be a part of this system, that that, that we would be unified with you and your purposes in the world, that we might be a part of what you are doing in the world to reunite people to yourself and bring them back into your paradise. And so, Lord, thank you for helping us to be priests, to be sacrifices, to be your temple. Help us to honor you and fulfill this calling by the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.